Welcome to the Now Leading Podcast, hosted by the Northwest District LCMS. We bring a Lutheran point of view to conversations on the art of leading as a follower of Jesus, through valleys, over peaks, and on the waves, following his lead in the great Northwest. Hey folks, I sure hope you're ready to get inspired, because this next episode is one of a kind. We've got a great interview um, led by Todd Rieske and Mike Von Baron, Cultivators in the Now Start Network, and they are interviewing Reverend Dr. John Nunes, who is formerly the CEO of Lutheran World Relief and also the former president of Concordia in New York and a number of other um, leadership positions. He's an author and most recently the author of Meant for More, a book that you can find online. And I hope that you find this episode interview a wonderful blessing and an inspiration above all for your focus on starting new. It certainly was to me. Please enjoy. We are excited to have with us uh, Reverend Dr. John Nunes, uh, most recently president of Concordia College in New York. Uh, he has taught at Valparaiso University at uh, Concordia University, Chicago. He served seven years as president and CEO of Lutheran World Relief. He's authored several books, uh, which he's going to tell us a little bit about today. Uh, most recently, Meant for More, In With and Under the Ordinary, which came out in 2020. Uh, Wittenberg Meets the World, Re- Reimagining Reformation at the Margins. Uh, that was 2017. Voices from the City, Issues and Images of Urban Preaching, uh, back from the late 1990s. Um, and then also uh, a little book for kids about malaria, Little Things Make Big Differences. That was published in 2010 while he was working with uh, Lutheran World Relief. Uh, he's also served as an urban parish pastor and community organizer in both Detroit, Michigan, and Dallas, Texas. He brings a wealth of experiential and academic knowledge about starting ministries that bridge cultures that celebrate ethnic and racial diversity in Christ and that bring the gospel um, to ordinary people in healing ways. So if you join me, uh, Todd and I are excited to, to welcome uh, Reverend Dr. John Nunes. And, and Todd, I'm gonna pass it over to you. Thanks, it is so good to have John with us today. And so John, um, I know that you're kind of in a, the midst of a change of vocation and part of that change, you've been uh, doing some work in a community, is that, in um, where, where, where well, just tell us about that. Tell us what you're doing. It's a changing oh, no, community. Today I'm in uh, Santa Monica. Well, yeah, but uh, but you moved, right? <laughs> so I'm in the same time zone as you, uh, Todd. Okay, but you moved into a new ministry, right? And and or at least you're doing some new ministry in a changing. Right. Uh, so for the last two years, I've been serving as an interim in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Uh, at uh, a parish called Saint John the Evangelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually a parish that began before the Lutheran Church Missouri Center was even founded wow. uh, in the 1840s. And they were originally called St. John, and they added the evangelist on when uh, public housing projects were built directly across the street to emphasize the evangelistic character of the people and of the parish and of their vision for the community. Um, so it's a very eclectic, dynamic uh, neighborhood uh, with um, people who live in the housing projects. So people who are socioeconomically um, living in d- difficult circumstances. But it's in Brooklyn. 
So that's like the new whatever Manhattan or where I mean, I'm trying to think of what's like Oakland, you know, it's gentrifying. And so um, <clears throat> part of the challenge there now is that, you know, I could I could never afford a house there. Uh, and the people in the housing projects, um, you know, are feeling that tension. So it's a neighborhood that's in transition. Correct. I think you're on mute, Todd. Um. <laughs> all right. So, so what are you doing yeah. there? And because what the Now Start Network is all about is how do we, how do we reach out in the context of today? You know, whether that be in the city or other places. But how are you um, reaching out in the midst of that kind of changing neighborhood? So I should have really begun, Todd, uh, by thanking you and Mike for uh, your leadership. Um, and for this network and for the work that you do. Uh, Todd, I've known for 40 years. Yeah, uh, We were together at Concordia College, Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, as undergraduates uh, when I moved uh, to the United States of America. I was actually born in Jamaica uh, and raised in Canada, which is not as warm as Jamaica, and uh, then moved. Am I being heard? Okay. Yeah, now you're okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it's something going on. It's flipping between my... AirPods oh. and to throw them away or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, and I really do appreciate the kind of visionary leadership that um, you have uh, for um, the various ministries. Um, so your question is, how are we thinking about ministry in the, in that community? Yeah. I learned when I was at Lutheran world relief, uh, that there's as much as we there's there's as much that we can learn from the church in the emerging world uh, to Mike von Baron's question or comment at the beginning, um, and especially this book called uh, Wittenberg Meets the World. Um, there's as much as we can learn from the church in the so-called developing world um, that applies particularly to our mission. And so, what we're attempting to do, I think, in Brooklyn. Uh, is a lot like what I learned uh, from the church in Ethiopia, Makane Jesus. So that church was founded in 1959, and it, when it was founded, it had like 15,000 members. By 1999, I just want to get these numbers right, uh, it had grown to uh, 2.5 million members. By 2010, 5 million members, and now it hovers around 8 million members. So just think about that sort of that sort of growth in a country that has maybe I think 80 million, 90 million people. So I had an opportunity to, to visit with some of the leaders in that church and ask them to what they attributed um, the disciple making that they had been a part of. And um, a man named Itefa Gobena, who at that time was the president of the church body, he actually gave me, he, he said there's four things. He says, we're actually, we're actually really, he says, intentional about four things. I guess that could be a point in and of itself, right? Intentionality. Um, but nonetheless, he said there were four things that they were intentional about. He said the first thing was that every single member is, a, every single baptized believer, uh, every single person named and claimed in three splashes of water uh, is given something like a mini ordination, and they are now in ministry. So they, they see themselves as called to be in ministry, every single person. So mm -hmm. ministry is not just the domain of those who wear a collar. 
I always, I have to, I, but I sometimes think there's nothing wrong with wearing a collar, but there is something wrong when the collar wears you. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So um, that, that was point one. Every believer in ministry. Second, he said, we have been in revival since we were founded, and we haven't stopped being in revival since. Now, that's a foreign world word and world uh, to many of us often in Lutheran space, and we get nervous around this kind of term revival. But all that means. Uh, revival. Did did I did you hear the point around yep, revival? Yeah, yep. really Nervous, but all it means simply is that the Holy Spirit continues to revive the church through word and sacraments, through daily lives of repentance, through daily dying and rising to what God is. This is all biblical. This is all biblical stuff, and that the Spirit is at work in the church for the sake of the mission of the church. Um, a revival, you can think of a revival as simply remembering your baptism uh, daily. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that sin is drowned and, and, and the old self is drowned in the waters of baptism, the old Adam. But of course, he's a really good swimmer, so he keeps on creeping back into our lives. Uh, but that's why we need revival, right? So he says that's so, so I think what he's really getting at in that second point is a kind of spirituality, a living, breathing alive spirituality in the lives of the church. The third thing he said was that they see themselves in ministry to the whole person. Of course, none of this is like groundbreaking. This is, this is why Lutherans founded things like hospitals and so-called orphanages and colleges for the mind and the heart and the needs that people and all kinds of uh, uh, um, Lutheran child and family service entities all over that. Lutherans did that in North America because we knew that we were in ministry to the whole person. What happened was we got those ministries, in my estimation, disconnected from the mission of the church. So there's this term I, I like to use, it's called proximity to proclamation. And you have to ask yourself this when you're engaged in service ministry. How close is that service ministry to the word of God and to the witness of the church. So we can say more about that uh, later in terms of prompting questions. Can I ask you a question real quick in the midst of that? Sure. How much of that do you think is because of our um, emphasis in America on professionalism? You know, yeah. we you know when when we have to fix something, we call a plumber. When we have to do uh, to to get healed, we go to the doctor. And you know, when you go for spiritual care, you go to the church. But if you're going for counseling that's not spiritual, you go to the secular counselor. I mean, is that a cultural thing or is that I mean something else? Yeah, so, we've, so what you're saying, Todd, is we've essentially outsourced uh, the care of people uh, to all these other kind of entities. And as long as we write our check, then we're good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the point. By the way, I will not be talking this much after I finish this answer, Todd, just, just so you know. Okay. Uh, this, and so here's the fourth point, and then we can be more in dialogue, which is I'm, I'm Socratic. I'm, you know, I, someone once said to me, uh, what is it like to be a Socratic? educator in an Aristotelian church, <laughs> but that's another topic. Okay, so um, <clears throat> the fourth point was that we are willing to die for the faith. In other words, and, and they mean, and they have died for, for the faith. In fact, one of their founders um, died on July 28th, 1979. His name was Gudina Tumsa, and he was martyred uh, for preaching. The Marxist government of Ethiopia in those in those in, at that time, 
prohibited or proscribed uh, preaching and prescribed the sort of messages that they wanted uh, preached in their churches. And Tumsa said no. And, and the more the Marxist government cracked down on him, the more he said that the gospel must be free. And uh, he ended up um, giving his life for that. <clears throat> so my, the fourth point is that they're ready, their witness, the word martyr means witness, their witness, they're ready to actually die for their witness. And, you know, and we call it persecution often in North America when our tax exempt status gets challenged. Right. But there there's a, a just a different kind of threshold um, and a different kind of vigor. So I'll just uh, hold those up for now and uh, back over to you, Todd, for uh, conversation and or Mike. That, that was great. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, I, I want to follow up on that conversation about uh, proximity to proclamation. John. It reminds me of something you said uh, in Voices from the City. You talked about how in urban areas, uh, churches are rescue and recovery missions where wounds are healed, souls are satisfied, and broken spirits made whole. And you talked about that being a holistic approach to ministry, which is what you're talking about there in, in Brooklyn now that you guys are looking to do, really make things holistic. And so... Um, both doing that holistic ministry needs to be close to the proclamation, but then also, at least from Voices of the City, you were saying the proclamation needs to talk about that. And so um, say more about that, how our preaching and our new starts can actually lead to that sort of revival spirit that, that looks at, at doing holistic ministry. Yeah, so it, it really starts, doesn't it, Mike, with listening, you know, uh, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in his book, Life Together. Uh, says that the first service that we owe others, so we're talking about diaconia, we're talking about service here, serving our communities. The first service that we owe to others is to listen. And, and then Bonhoeffer goes on to say, whoever stops listening to others will soon stop listening to God. Uh, and then he goes on to say that the church, the problem with the church is they talk too much. Rather than listening, uh, they're, they're, they're talking. So ministry begins with listening, uh, discerning deeply um, what the needs and what the, what the wounds are in any community you serve. It's not just in an urban community. This goes for all communities. And only after listening are you prepared to talk. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, it's never in my life been the case that after listening, I didn't hear something where the gospel had relevance and had meaning, but it's about connecting that gospel relevance with the, the deep needs of, 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 of people created in the image of God who have built into their being a restlessness uh, to be with God. Every single human person uh, is designed with, with, a, with, a, with, with a need for God. And, and, and the, the opportunity we have is to connect is to connect them back with their creator, the one who made them to be saved. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And to be able to make those connections in, in meaningful ways that, that come from where their heart's been. So that idea of listening and uh, responding to those needs. You also talked about uh, an era when the Lutheran church was really good about starting uh, ministries that have become really impactful in the community. So Lutheran community services, uh, Lutheran hospitals that were started across the country. Um, starting those kinds of things, on the one hand, seems like it's become much, much more complex in our day and age. Um, 
is, do you still see that as possible for us to do those kinds of things, to start new endeavors like that? Uh, so it's not only possible, Michael, but it's, you know, it's necessary. Right. Uh, and it's, and, and I think we always think that we're living in the most difficult time in the history of the world. I mean, every culture is prone to thinking, uh, but you think about these immigrants, man, who didn't speak English, right. Who spoke Swedish and Norwegian and German and uh, were often looked upon with su suspicion, you know, uh, and had very little res resources available to them. Uh, and their courage uh, to found lasting, enduring entities. You know, it, it was really remarkable. Uh, we're closing a lot of entities now, but there was a time when we would, you know, found and, 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 and start a uh, new mission. Um, so it, it's, is it possible? It's not only possible, it's necessary. Is it tricky? Of course, it's tricky. It's always been tricky. You know, <laughs> uh, this is why we have first article theology, because you have to learn how to navigate the world. Yeah. And to, to be willing to learn those resources, we need to make it happen and see it possible in Christ to do things that. And then to hold up a vision. It's like you guys are doing here in this now network. It's, just, it's, it's incredible. And I, and I really do believe, and it sounds like just pampered piety, but I really do believe that where there is a vision that's compelling, there will be God's provision as well. God will find a way where, where it's God's vision, there will be God's provision. I've seen that too many times in my life, uh, not to know that that's true. Yeah. Thank you. It's always good for us to be reminded of that, especially, you know, a lot of the starts that we were talking about, our last call was a sort of humanitarian start to provide nutrition to people who are coming out of hospital situations who need specific nutrition requirements. And, and it was a, it was a church who was starting this. They had a, a person in their congregation who it was in the food service industry. They had another one who was in the food distribution industry. And so they were partnering that together and trying to make something happen out of it. Um, and so what you're saying about God providing the provision where the vision is there is, is really where a lot of the people on this call are at. They're, they're, they're ready to do that and to watch God provide. So I appreciate you saying that. I want to take things in a little bit different direction. Um, in Wittenberg Meets the World, uh, which you which you helped co-author in 2017, and just reflecting on the Reformation and the importance of hearing from the margins, just like you were talking about a few minutes ago about um, Akana Jesus and hearing from what's happening in other parts of the world and, and really following that lead. You talked about the danger of ethnic monoculturalism and how, how much of an embarrassment that becomes to the church. And it's easy for us all to get sucked into. So as we're thinking about new starts, um, what would you have to say about what a new start or new ministry would need to do in order to embody the kind of sacred diversity that in that book, you, you use the word koinonia. And so this is the koinonia that, that Christ brings is the sacred diversity. So what kinds of things should new starts be looking at to make sure they're welcoming of that? What a great uh, way you frame that question, Mike. Uh, a perfect framing of that question. Uh, you said, was the term you used sacred diversity? Yeah, sacred diversity. Yeah. So so let me just jot, because I don't want to forget my second point. Um, uh, intentionality. Okay. So the first point... 
uh, is to understand that diversity is not an end in and of itself. Uh, it's a means to some other end. And in our culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion has become kind of a raging um, in vogue notion uh, where the end is look at how like wonderfully diverse we are. And that is not the goal. Diversity is a penultimate or a secondary goal. Um, <clears throat> the mission of Christ, the mission of the church is the first is, is the, is the goal. So diversity has to always then be in a secondary and or subservient and or servant position towards the, the, the greater end. Okay. So I just want to be really clear about that as a proviso. Yeah, that's important. The second point is that diversity won't happen all by itself. <laughs> uh, you know, in this work of making disciples, you have to be intentional about who you want around the table and who you want in your ministry and how you want your ministry to look. That has to be, you have to be intentional. I always like to say um, nothing about them without them. <laughs> and namely, if you're, if you have a ministry where you're attempting to reach certain kinds of people, they need to be at the table. They need to be at the table where decisions are made, where money is apportioned, where, because if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. <laughs> um, so being at the table is really important intentionally. And this is a, this is a huge problem in our circles, uh, sharing power. Uh, so, you know, it's one thing to have relationships with people. That's one level of belonging. It's a, another thing to welcome people and have them seated in your church. That's another level of belonging. But the kind of belonging that we want is more added needs. The, the, the kind we need is a more institutional level of belonging where people actually feel like they have ownership and leadership over the, over the mission and ministry. And we're not, we're not good with that because no humans are good with that. I mean, we all kind of want to be around people who walk like us and talk like us and look like us and cook like us and dance like us or can't dance like us, whatever the case might be. We're all inclined naturally. Our, our propensity is towards people who are like us. So we have to work intentionally to get outside of that circle. So that's just two ways of thinking about um, diversity. Is this what you're kind of looking for? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I, I really appreciate that insight about um, being at the table and nothing about them without them. I, I wrote that down. That's going to, that's going to stay a phrase that might even go on my wall. Um, but I like that idea. Uh, Todd, I, I wonder if you could comment on this. You've been in a lot of different uh, mission situations where you've really had to work to invite uh, mm -hmm. those who were sort of the target of the mission to be at the table. So tell about how that worked in your missions. Well, that's what I was going to say. One of the challenges is, is that um, when you're first starting, I mean, how it's, it's hard to bring people to the table uh, before you have people even in the room, you know, um, and that's, that's, that's the challenge, you know, to how do you, how do you get that first step? Um, I hear in our community, I, I called them uh, just, uh, I saw an African-American woman that has uh, some leadership and has done some things. She planned a, a um, um, 
Juneteenth celebration. So I just called her and said, you know, hey, uh, can we talk? I have no idea what we're doing. We want to be able to be able to reach out to people of all different backgrounds in our community, but we don't know how to do that. Um, but that's, I mean, that that's kind of that first step is those conversations outside so that you can get people into the room who then you can invite into leadership. Um, I guess it's not a question, but that's been the thing that I've kind of struggled with. It took us quite a few years in Copper Center to get Native folks on the leadership team. You know, it took a while to, for it to get them into the church, that first step um, through those relationships. But then, you know, then then there's the next step of that commitment and willingness. So I guess for you, John, is is. Um, is there is there a way you can do that? quicker or yeah. is i mean how, how do you do that process that's a that's a perfect analysis todd that's and you, i agree with you mike todd has really done well on this on this intentional incorporation which means you're bringing into the body the body of christ um people from a variety of backgrounds i, I was walking with a rabbi in borough park brooklyn and uh, we were engaged in some conversation about maybe some things we could do together. Um, and as I walked with him, he was pointing out people and he would describe them like this. Oh, he's a good guy. This, this, this Hasidic Jew, this guy's a good guy. I would, I would have dinner with him. I would invite him to my house. And then he'd go over to this guy. He says, oh, he's a good guy, but uh, I wouldn't have dinner with him. Okay, because he's not—he's uh, not kosher. He's not rigorous enough. Okay, and it blew my mind, you know, that we were actually—and it, and it, for the first time in my life, the story became clear when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, "You know, come down from that tree. I must, I must eat at your house." And the crowd went wild, right? But it was clearly why uh, they went crazy was because this notion of just eating with people and spending time with people is very prescribed. And very, very um, insulated in 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 many cultures. Uh, Sidney Poitier just died. Uh, his movie was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. <laughs> and I, I honestly think you know it's really these are these are. I think people make this more complicated than they need to. Okay, in terms of that first tier, which you're describing, Todd, you're describing the kind of social tier, relational tier. Then you got to move from the relational you know, to incorporation and then to the, what I would call the institutional. But at that first level that you were describing, Todd, I think it really is, um, it, it really is like two questions. First, the Sesame Street question, who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? Just actually knowing who they are. Do you, do you know their names? Do you know who they are? And then the second question is, you know, the Mr. Rogers neighborhood question, won't you be my neighbor? Uh, so looking again, intentionality, who, you know, who do you spend your time with? Who do you, in, and Todd, you're really, really good at this. I've watched you for years, um, decades. <laughs> and, you, and you've done this with intentionality. And I, and I really think that's just a, re, a key word, okay? So, so people like to say, I think sometimes, piously well diversity will just happen if you do the right thing it won't just happen it's got to be something you have to be strategic and intentional about and it won't just be happen because of sin that's the reason because we we are we're built to be tribal you know we we uh 
wanted to make sure that after after your years of teaching at the university setting and uh, and higher education and your academic life and and your your rigorous writing and we wanted to make sure we kept this on a on a good lay level that people understand and so I'm I'm really appreciating that you brought us right back to Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and that if we're just asking those two questions. Um, who are, the, who are the people in your neighborhood and won't you be my neighbor that we've already started down that track of, of, of being like Jesus with Zacchaeus and having dinner at somebody's house and getting to know them hearing their voice. And it goes back to what you said at the very beginning about listening, that it starts with listening, listening to the people in the neighborhood, uh, the people that uh, were, we have the opportunity to serve. And I think that's where a lot of our congregations are. I think uh, I think the communities surrounding a lot of our congregations up here in the in the Northwest, are, and I'm sure this is many other places in the United States, but definitely here are are quickly changing and diversifying in ways that our congregations aren't necessarily ready for. Um, but if we can go back to those that uh, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers questions and invite the conversations with people in the community, then we'll start down that track. Todd, did you want to follow up on that? I'm sorry I jumped in. No, that was great. I, that and you know, I'm I'm kind of wondering what you think, John. Then, just in in real practical terms, um, if you were here, if you were in the Northwest District, which you're you haven't lived in this context, but what would you do if you wanted to? to connect with those neighbors? I mean, what would be some practical things that you would do uh, to start ministry to your neighbors? If you could just kind of lay that out, if, if you were called here, which would be great, <laughs> but if you were called here, what, what, would you, what would you do? So everyone, I, so I would start with kind of human anthropology. Everybody has two handles, right? at least, probably many more, but everyone has two. They have a needs handle and an interests handle. So I would probably try to connect with, and, and again, it's by listening, to in conversation in terms of what their needs might be or what their interests might be. So for example, I'm here at a um, church right now that has a school that is an incredibly healthy school that rents uh, space from this church and is basically disconnected from the ministry here at this church. Uh, the school is a very uh, strong school, and, um, and uh, it's called Pacifica Christian School. Uh, the uh, students who go to this school get dropped off every morning, and they get picked up at the end of every day, like students do in any school. And I'll probably just try to get myself in the way of the drop off and the pickup and engage in conversation with people, meet people, get to know them, get to know what their interests and or needs are. So uh, you might find in many urban areas, for example, that there's a need for childcare. Now, that's an opportunity. <laughs> right? you, you call it a need. I call it an opportunity. So needs and or interests become ways in which we connect with people. Is that is that kind of practical? You yeah. know, if I know I'd like to 
swim in the realm of the theoretical. But yeah, no, that that is. I mean, that's the kind of thing. I think uh, connecting with people as uh, wherever you have a chance to connect with them and find out what's going on with them and what we have that we could bring um, into that uh, that to that table. You know, and if you um, hang out with them long enough, you'll learn what that is. Right. Hey, uh, yeah. Let's turn to the to the folks on the call. We're we're at about eleven thirty-five. We've got about fifteen minutes left. We want to take some time to give anyone on the call. We've got some some great uh, ministry leaders on the call here today. So this is open to anybody who's out there who wants to ask a question or um, bring something up. And the way I'd ask you to do that is uh, just. Um, put a question mark in the chat box. There's a couple in there already, and I'm going to go ahead and call on those in order. I'm going to start with Mona, um, but I won't read your question, Mona. If you'd go ahead and unmute yourself and you can go ahead and ask that question, give uh, John a chance to reply, and then we'll go to Bill Hartley next. Okay. Um, I think I'm curious about um, how do you go about exploring the community needs and interests um, you have to go. You can't get people to come to us until there's a reason for them to do that. So are, do you have any thoughts on uh, Christian community development as, a pro, as an approach or a network that um, has some tools to begin to think about how do we assess the community needs and where we might fill those gaps with the strengths we have? Yeah, there are a lot of models. Uh, Mona, is this who this is? Yeah. 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 What, that's a great. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to meet you again. Is it? Uh, yeah, great, great question. Um, and there are a lot of great models. You know, John Perkins, of course, CDCA has some great resources. Um, the Nehemiah Project uh, in Brooklyn has some great resources. And these are models of Christian community development. And the, the question that we talked about earlier, Mike, around proximity to proclamation, they understand that, you know, we witness first by our witness. So we witness by our witness, kind of like an accompaniment model. Uh, but at some point, we always have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us. The problem with some community development models is that they never get to the witness. They spend a lot of time in the witness uh, and never they get and they never get to the witness. Uh, an explicit speaking of who Jesus is and what my faith is. And I think those two things need to be held in a really healthy tension when you're in a community development uh, model. Um, I like what you're saying here in your chat about we got to go. You can't have the gospel without the go. You can't even spell gospel without G-O-S-P-E-L. So, yeah, you got to go, uh, you know, go make disciples. Um, uh, so, yeah. And where do you go? I think places to go are community organization meetings, school board meetings, places in the civil realm or in the civic realm and be a participant uh, an active participant in the public square, an active participant in the public square, to use every opportunity you can to participate outside of the church walls uh, in the community. When I was in Buffalo, New York, um, 35 years ago, uh, as part of my vicarage, uh, we started a, there, there was, they had a problem with substance abuses when crack cocaine had first started. And so we met with community organizations all day and we started an organization. It's now disbanded, but it was intact for a decade called the Near East Side Substance Abuse Council, NESAC, Near East Side Substance Abuse Council. And there we participated 
and cooperated with Christians of every stripe and Muslims even, because we can participate on in the first article on on uh, we can uh, so-called externals. Uh, and I think it's and I think we get we gain a lot of credibility when we do that without losing again our core of who we are. So it takes a certain kind of confidence. And one of the things I, you know, one of the things I've written about is the loss of Lutheran confidence. You know, Mike, you talk about when we used to build, we were confident. There was a time when we were confident in our faith in Jesus and in who we were and what we were called to do. And the loss of that confidence has resulted in, I think, a tepid timidity when it comes to engaging the community. So I love that question, Mona. And I, John, I really appreciate you talking about uh, the confidence, not in terms of uh, just being confident that we sort of have our teaching right, but being confident that we can do something with that in the community that's going to change people's lives and being confident about what we, how we engage the community in, in whole life ways. Uh, I love that. And to be confident enough that we're, we're able to engage people who are not like us, not even religiously like us. Yeah. 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 Because because we are. I think it's in, I think we're insecure about our doctrine. That's why we spend so much time fixated on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. So that goes to Bill's question. Uh, Bill Hartley's got one in the chat box. But, Bill, I'm not going to share it. Just unmute yourself. I'll let you voice it. OK, just want to amen. It's good to see you, John. Um, amen. The uh, the confidence thing, because I'm I'm still new to Lutheranism. So I I think that we're the hope of the world, but I'm not totally sure that we all do. Uh, but anyway, my question is this, uh, you know, in a world where we have a lot of ethnic churches, especially in our urban areas, we like to find an ethnic pastor who can reach their people better than we can. I mean, it's good missiology. But uh, so I'm an old white guy, <clears throat> but I want to cross borders and things, but I want to be effective. And so do we take our churches, which are and I'm in Spokane, Washington. So Black Lives Matter in Spokane. There just aren't very many of them. So if we as a church said we want to go reach that people group, we'd really have to go find them. They really aren't in our neighborhood. But I think there's this feeling like we've got to cross some of these intercultural bridges. But the hardest ones might be the least fruitful. It might be that we want to send somebody to those who is going to be more like them so that they can reach them. So especially to our uh, kind of Anglo dominated churches, what, to what degree should we as leaders say, we're going to take our people to hard, harder, harder relationships to navigate for the sake of our own growth and our own heartbeat or, or should we just kind of let what comes to us come to us? But honestly, I don't think that the intercultural world is just going to start streaming into our Anglo-dominated traditional Lutheran churches. So I'm just curious as leaders how we might be able to lead appropriately that will also be successfully said. That's a great question, uh, Bill, and it's really well framed. And I want to thank you for your uh, your own self-awareness, your kind of recognition of who you are in this picture. I think that's really, really a, an important place to begin. Who am I <laughs> and how do people see me and what am I? Uh, in other words, that uh, being white and male, for example, is not like just a normative neutral position, but it is something. It actually is a thing. <laughs> that whiteness is a culture, right? To be a middle 
aged middle class white person is a thing. And so so I, so I appreciate very much your own kind of self-awareness. Uh, and I think that's the starting point is a sense of self-awareness. This notion that we have to make the church multi-ethnic is, is, is a bit problematic. Uh, the church has always been multi-ethnic. I mean, from its founding, the day of Pentecost was multi-ethnic. Jesus had multiple languages on the cross. Okay, in the synagogue in which he spoke, there were multiple languages spoken. They had to translate, you know, uh, from one to another. And, and, and God purposely chose the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea because God knew that this place was a crossroads for the world. Uh, I mean, the Magi came from where? Persia, maybe India. I like to think India. But Persia, they came from the east, right? Paul went where with his missionary journeys? Up to the barbarian hordes in, the, in Europe. Uh, the Holy Family, uh, during the persecution, uh, fled to Africa, to Egypt. So you have all of these kind of places coming together uh, where God chose purposely to be the site of the first coming of God's son. So what God, so vocation and location go together. So those places we are called and to be, and we are called to particular places with particular people. And we, and it is we, Bill, John, Arthur, Nunes, who are specifically called to the place. So God, so you're in the picture. <laughs> That's why self-awareness matters. You're in the picture and you're called to a specific place in a specific community. Now, I think sometimes we get uh, really fascinated by this notion of crossing ethnic lines. And you just you're mentioning Spokane. Is it, but I know this. I know that there's some socioeconomic challenges in the Spokane area. You don't have to go too far to find those. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that's a line to cross, too, that we're not good at. Lutherans tend not to be good at working with lower income communities of any race or background. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thanks, John. Can I, can I jump in for a second there, John? Because I, you know, um, I think one other thing is that I, we get used to seeing people that look like us. And sometimes when uh, there are people around us that aren't like us, we don't recognize them. I know in our community here, um, this community was a kind of a farming community outside of Seattle. And there's a lot of people here who think it still is and it's changed, but you know, people don't notice, um, you know, when, when you look at the census things, people are going, well, I never see anybody different than me, you know? Um, and I think that it's real easy to get used to seeing the people you're used to seeing. And so you're, you're, you're not, um, realizing the opportunities the Lord is bringing to your doorstep. That's Brother, that you cannot have framed that better. I love the way you said that, Todd. Th thank you for saying that. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, one of the one of the things I like to do at uh, certain venues, hotels, and or restaurants, or learn is learn the name of the names of the service workers. You know, the the, the people who are bussing your tape, right? The people who are cleaning your floor in your room and figuring out who those folks are. Cause those are the invisible people. Those are people we just actually don't see. We don't notice. And, and you're right. We can live our lives where we go from, you know, well, New York train station to train station and miss all the pain stations in between. 
because we're just used to seeing who we see. And you can kind of hear that when people say, you know, well, everybody's here. We're all here. <laughs> and there's people missing. Yeah. Thanks, John. And thank you, Todd, for throwing that in. There's two comments left in our chat box. We are about at time. I'm going to take one of them. Uh, Ty, I'm going to ask you to hold yours because Ty's one of our cultivators, Ty Schomer. And uh, Ty will get his chance uh, to say things to the network. And uh, he actually helps host some of these calls. So we're going to go to Randy. Uh, Randy, I want to pull you in uh, to the network a little bit, give you a chance to share your comment or your thought, and then we're going to wrap up after that. Got to get unmuted here. Yeah, I, w- one of the things that uh, sometimes uh, talking about the obvious and uh, uh, one of the things that uh, we wrestled with in, in a particular congregation in our community was, uh, you know, we're an older congregation, maybe, but that's what uh, the makeup of the community was. It was a retirement community. And, and to say, oh, well, here's our opportunity right in front of us, uh, which is which is so obvious, uh, because there are elderly people who need to know Jesus and, and, and the comfort and, and salvation that he offers. Um, and and the, other, the other comment that I wanted to add was one of the things that I have found most helpful uh, is, is just simply asking genuine questions of a person, their life, um, and, and, you know, just, a, a trying to get into a deeper conversation, if you will. Um, you know, it's, it's a neighbor that, well, w- what's really going on in your life? How are your kids? Uh, what, you know, what, what's happening in, in the extended family and, and the struggles that you're facing? Um, I, I was over this morning, uh, a guy I had never met. Uh, a, a, uh, I went over to trace uh, some patterns for a woodworking project, but in the process, you know, just got to ask him a bunch of questions and share a little bit. Uh, but it was just kind of uh, that the questions genuinely expressed uh, open up doors. So. Thanks, Randy. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it's just being willing to ask those questions and talk to people in the community. And, and you find out who you can serve. Okay, Ty, I am going to give you a, a shot to, to share something real quick, and then we're going to close. Um, just real quick, the <clears throat> for all the reasons that you mentioned, there's been a lot of talk about diversity along race, nine, race lines, ethnicities, cultures, everything else. Um, we're doing it at the board level in the Northwest District. What I don't hear a lot of is diversity amongst and focusing on diversity amongst age groups. And the reason why I I stew on this and think about this is because it's one thing to get a bunch of old white guys to try to embrace other cultures and race, but I recognize in my own kids that they don't have that problem. Their friends are very ethnically diverse. And it might be specific to our context here in Anchorage, Alaska, because we are the most ethnically diverse city in the country. But I just wanted to pose that to you. You know, what, what might be your thought on that if we focus on becoming more ethnic, not ethnically diverse, more demographically by age diverse? Does that help alleviate the problem as we bring in the next generation who doesn't have some of the hangups that we do? <laughs> well, these are such great comments, Randy. Thank you for yours. And thank you, Ty. And I think. 
you know, it, it, so I'm struck that every congregation should intentionally seek to reach and make disciples within their networks of influence. So it might be in their neighborhood, it might be in their circle of whatever, and should always be trying to expand that circle. So yes, Ty, diversity of uh, age is part of the solution. Because if you look at who's having babies in the United States of America, uh, it's quite clear. You know, if you look at you look at kindergarten classes in the United States of America, and that'll give us a clue for where we're heading uh, in, in the rest of the nation. Uh, I remember, I'll never forget, uh, to your point, demographically or age uh, or generationally, Ty, uh, 25 years ago, someone told me that half of the kindergarten children in St. Paul, Minnesota were non-white. Just now just wrap your mind around that. 25 years ago, half of the kindergarten children in St. were Vietnamese or Hmong or people from all. See, I think what God did at the Eastern end of the Mediterranean, God is also doing in North America. He's positioned us strategically to reach, you know, all people of all times and all places with this timeless transcending message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Thanks, John. What, what great words to, to begin to wrap up on It's that timeless transcending message of Jesus Christ. Um, what I'd like to do to, uh, right now, just we're going to close with prayer and Todd, I'm going to ask you to lead that closing prayer. But before we do, uh, you've got a new book out. Um, say whatever you want about that. Um, I've already mentioned voices from the city. I've, I've mentioned the, uh, here, uh, Wittenberg meets the world, which are uh, great reads. Uh, those I've had a chance to peruse. I haven't seen this one yet. Tell us briefly about it and then we'll close. So thanks. <laughs> thanks for the promo. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this book. It's called meant for more in with and under the ordinary. So what it essentially says is that, and I think I've mentioned this already is that there's a kind of restlessness uh, and St. Augustine says it, you know, that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And all people have this kind of sense of restlessness. And the way in which you overcome that is not by the sensational or the spectacular, but it is through commitments to ordinary. That's why it's in, with, and under the ordinary. Ordinary people, ordinary relationships, ordinary conversations, all the stuff we've been talking about on this call. I'm really excited about this book. I, I, uh, um, I've spent a lot of time, you know, crafting language. And one of the one of the points I make in this book is the distinction between tribal truth and transcendent truth. And that that's a that's a really important um, uh, uh, distinction that we have an opportunity to make. Uh, so thanks, Mike, for the opportunity. By the way, can I ask you and Todd to stay on at the end of the call? Oh, yeah, you bet. You okay, bet. thanks. Uh, so, Todd, I'm going to give you a chance to pray in just a moment. But before that, I, I do want to remind everyone on the call that just about the Now Start Network. We're here to serve and support and help connect you with the resources you need and so that whatever new start God has put in the vision before you or before your congregational leaders or are the, these may be leaders just in your community but you've got an idea for something that will make a difference in somebody's life through which you can go 
and, and bring the gospel to people. And if we can help connect you to resources, we want to do that. And so we've got cultivators throughout the, the district that'll help with that. Um, Ty, who you've heard from on the call, Todd, of course, who's on this call, myself, uh, but also Garrett Knudsen and Jeremy Lucky and Amy Schwein and Dan Hughes and Brian Larson. You can find all their contact information at uh, nowstart.net, which is where you went to. You just listened to the Now Leading Podcast, hosted by the Northwest District LCMS. Leadership conversations from a Lutheran point of view for Christian leaders of all kinds. Take a moment after this podcast, and with everything you've just heard in mind, consider at least one action you will take. Then go and make it happen.